0: You may be seated. All right, oh yeah, I'm on. Grab your Bibles, open up to 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 through 11. We started our series last week on following Jesus in a messy world, and uh, we'll continue that today. Follow along as I uh, read these verses out loud. Just a reminder, uh, uh, Nick made that little cool graphic, so if you need help finding where 2 Corinthians is, that's actually using our black pew Bibles uh, uh, underneath the seats. there. All right. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, starting in verse 3, says this, uh, "'Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, "'the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, "'who comforts us in all our affliction "'so that we will be able to comfort those "'who are in any affliction with the comfort "'with which we ourselves are comforted by God. "'For just as the sufferings of Christ are ours in abundance, "'so also our comfort is abundant through Christ.'" But if we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. Or if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which is effective in the patient enduring of the same sufferings which we also suffer. And our hope for you is firmly grounded, knowing that as you are sharers of our suffering, so also you are sharers of our comfort. For we do not want you to be unaware, brethren, of our affliction, which came to us in Asia that we were burdened excessively beyond our strength so that we despaired even of life. Indeed, we had the sentence of death within ourselves so that we would not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead, who delivered us from so great a peril of death and will deliver us, he on whom we have set our hope, and he will yet deliver us. You also joining in helping us through your prayers so that thanks may be given by many persons on our behalf, for the favor bestowed on us through the prayers of many. Father God, we ask that this morning you would open our hearts and minds to what you would have for us from your word. God, you know what each person's need is, and so we just pray that you would meet us at that point of need, encourage strengthen, build up, challenge, whatever it is that we need, God, you would do it. We pray this in your name. Amen. So one of the things that I took just a a little bit of time doing uh, uh, last week was establishing the reality that we do, in fact, live in a world that is messy. I mean, just in case anybody was wondering or had any doubts uh, uh, about that, I wanted to make sure that we are all on the same uh, page with that. We we live in a messy world. There are physical messes, relational messes, career messes, emotional messes, family messes, financial messes, community messes, political messes, personal messes, and a whole lot more uh, that we could go on and on with. And I didn't think that that particular point would take a great deal of convincing. I pretty much ran with the idea that everybody was going to be on board with this idea. The world is a messy place. Now, what I didn't do last Sunday was spend very much time developing where the messes come from. And so I'm going to spend just a a little bit of time doing that this morning. Not excessively, because uh, uh, if we wanted to talk about why this world is a mess and, and why individually we have messes even as followers of Jesus. Uh, that'd be a whole uh, another uh, series of messages. So uh, we're not going to do that. We're just going to hit uh, some general highlights on this. And so you can think uh, of messes as being the result of two things, really. Any and every mess uh, is the result of two things. You've got a presenting reason and the ultimate reason. A- and uh, I'm going to take a look at the ultimate reason first because it's actually the easy one and, and foundational uh, to the rest of it. Every single mess in this world, or to make it more personal, every single mess in your life, whatever it is, is the result of one thing, sin. And, and since we're talking ultimately here, that doesn't mean I'm saying a particular sin that you committed in your life. That's not what I'm talking about here. I'm talking about the general principle of sin in this world. It goes back to the very beginning. When, when God created the heavens and the earth, He looked at everything He made and He said it was good. Now, I did not look up the word good in the, in the Hebrew, but I'm pretty sure it means no messes. right? He designed everything in the world and it functioned exactly the way it was supposed to function. He made man and woman and brought them together in the family and it functioned the way it was supposed to function. As people, we were doing what we were supposed to do, but unfortunately, that did not last very long because Satan came in and messed the whole thing up. He tempted Eve and she and Adam both chose to ignore God and break his command and therefore brought sin into the world and the results of sin were catastrophic. It brought the curse and death just as God said it would. There are consequences and that original sin has now permeated the world and, and been passed down to every single person and, and the consequences were not just for people. There were physical consequences in this world as well. The destructive forces of nature that had been contained and controlled by God's grace were now unleashed. So hurricanes, earthquakes, tornadoes, droughts, blizzards, fires, and more, they, they all make life-threatening, life-altering, devastating messes. Just ask the people in Houston or South Florida many other places around our country and around the world. See, that's what the Apostle Paul was referring to in the book of Romans when he said, for the creation was subjected to futility. That was, it was cursed under God. For we know that the whole creation groans and suffers the pain of childbirth together until now. It's waiting for that time of redemption as well. And because the natural systems of this earth are broken under the curse, people suffer. Lives are lost, homes are destroyed, businesses are ruined, and people suffer. Natural disasters can rip children out of the arms of their parents, take parents away from children. Families can be shattered. Loved ones and friends are snatched away. And these calamities they fall on both the saved and the unsaved. Hurricanes don't just batter the homes of unbelievers. And the natural forces of devastation make for a messy world. But we can move on from those massive natural events that cause messes into the people side of individual particular sins and the havoc and the pain and the suffering that that creates. Whenever a person chooses to walk outside of the, the commands and the guidelines that God has given, it will, if not immediately, it will eventually result in pain and suffering. Our own sin brings us pain. And unfortunately, the sins of others can bring terrible suffering and pain into our lives. And as we go through this study, we'll see some examples of that. So we're, we're, I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to dwell on that now, but we'll see how that works. The main point in all this is simple. Why is there suffering and pain? Why is there affliction and tribulation in this world? Ultimately, it's always because of sin. Now, the presenting issue, the other side of that, well, that's simply the circumstances surrounding your particular situation of suffering. But behind it's always this ultimate issue of a broken world because of sin. And so it's not a matter of if suffering and affliction is going to touch your life. It's always a matter of of when, and how much, and how often, and how severe. And we need to understand that being a Christian does not shield us from the consequences of living in a broken world. Jesus himself made this very clear to his followers when he said very matter-of-factly, in the world you have tribulation. That, that was his assessment not maybe, not possibly, not even probably, you will have tribulation. So now that kind of brings us back around to our passage in 2 Corinthians. One of the biggest, most certain realities of living in a messy world is the absolute fact of pain and suffering. Jesus said we can expect it. It's the norm, not the exception. The whole Bible teaches that we should plan for pain. The book of Job is about the intense suffering of one of God's most faithful followers. Job 5.7 warns, For man is born for trouble as sparks fly upward. Just as certain as one, so is the other. Jeremiah was known as the weeping prophet because... He was called to be God's spokesman during the the time of Jerusalem's destruction and pillaging by the Babylonians. He also wrote Lamentations and the verses that John referred to this morning. God's judgment was falling on the defiant and rebellious nation, and it it brought a great deal of suffering and pain to the people. And everything that was happening around Jeremiah was so bad that he finally cried out, Why did I ever come forth from the womb to look on Jerusalem? trouble, and sorrow so that my days have been spent in shame. Have you ever felt like that? That everything was so hard, that things were so bad, you kind of just wish you had never even been born? One commentator that I read this week talking about Jeremiah and the trouble he's going through, he said this, that life is filled with trouble, sorrow, pain, disappointment, disillusionment, And despair is the testimony of all of Scripture. Not just Jeremiah, not just Job. This is what God teaches is true. The Bible makes it clear that we should expect pain in this world. That's what comes from living in a broken world. And, And far from Christians being shielded from that kind of pain, we are warned that we might have it even worse. The Apostle Paul uh, wrote to the young pastor Timothy, in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. How's that for a great selling point uh, for Christianity? Hey, come and follow Jesus because then not only can you suffer the pain uh, of the normal things of, of living in a broken world, but you can also suffer for your faith. Up until recently, we in America we weren't really subjected to very much persecution for our faith, but that does appear to be rapidly changing. And what Jesus said is going to be true for us: if this world hates you, you know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you are of the world, the world would love uh, the world; the world would love its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, because of this, the world hates you. We're beginning to see that, aren't we? And if the world hates us, well, we can expect pain and suffering. That's really what verse 5 in 2 Corinthians was talking about. It said, for just as the sufferings of Christ are ours in abundance, Jesus, right, the the best, kindest, most tender-hearted man that ever lived, suffered a great deal at both the hands of pagan people and religious people. And, And Paul's statement here is that those same sufferings of Christ are ours in abundance. Not just, you know, a little bit, but a lot. That's what we can and should expect. It would be the abnormal Christian life not to suffer. And that's true no matter what your level of faithfulness or maturity in Christ might be. Look at what the Apostle Paul, how he described his own experience there in verse 8, right? He says, for we do not want you to be unaware, brethren, of our affliction which came to us in Asia, that we were burdened excessively beyond our strength, and that we despaired, even of life. So Even the imminent and faithful apostle Paul suffered. No, nobody knows for sure exactly what Paul's referring to here, exactly what it was that happened to him. Uh, while a lot of things that the, Paul went through and suffered were written down, this particular episode is not recorded for us. Paul didn't dwell on it. Well, Luke never recorded it in the book of Acts. But whatever it was, it was bad. He described it as being burdened excessively beyond our strength. Again, let me ask you, have you ever been there? Have you ever cried out to God, I cannot handle this anymore, God. I can't, I I don't know what to do. I can't take anymore. Have you ever felt overwhelmed and just weren't sure that you could even go on? That's what Paul was going through, but it was actually... Even worse than that, you know, right? verse 8 ends by saying they despaired even of life. And then verse 9 goes on, Indeed, we have the sentence of death within ourselves so that we would not trust in ourselves but in God who raises the dead. See, Paul here wasn't saying he felt so miserable and things were so bad it kind of felt like dying. Maybe you've been in that kind of position before. But he was saying they thought they were going to die that they were going to be killed. Uh, that He uh, uses that uh, phrase, sentence of death. That's actually a legal pronouncement that a judge would use. In his mind, he, he figured this was it. This is it. This is the end for us. In, in fact, the, the word despaired back at the end of verse 8 there literally means no passage, no exit, no way out. Uh, he saw no escape from whatever it was they were facing, whatever affliction was going on, he was sure it was going to end in death. Now, I, I can't claim anywhere near that level of pain and suffering in my own life. You know, I've had some hardships, some difficulties, faced some trials, endured some pain, but the afflictions of my life have been very mild compared to what Paul was describing here, And hardly any of mine have come about as a result of my faith. Most are the result of living in a broken, messy world or my sin or someone else's sin. But the point we need to understand here is that there is no promise from God that He's only going to allow mild suffering to come our way. That certainly was not the experience of the Apostle Paul, and we cannot expect it to be our uh, experience. And and the Apostle Peter taught the same truth. He said, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal, fiery, uh, when you use that, he's talking bad here, ordeal among you, which comes upon you for your testing as though some strange thing were happening to you. I mean, sometimes we do exactly what Peter tells us not to do there, right? We act All surprised about some hardship or tribulation as if that wasn't supposed to be happening to us or or, or that we shouldn't be going through that, even though the Bible repeatedly tells us that these tribulations will come. So don't be surprised. So, now about this point, there may be some of you thinking, I'm not very happy I showed up this morning. I didn't need to come for this kind of a bummer of a Sunday. If I wanted to be discouraged, I could have just sat home and watched the news. But actually, I, I don't want you to, to be discouraged, and hopefully we can all walk out of here today with our faith built up and our hearts encouraged. But to see, I believe to get to that point, we, we had to make sure we have first a biblical and clear picture of the reality we live in. Because it's a very false encouragement to try to tell Christians that they won't suffer or they shouldn't suffer, you know, as long as they just have enough faith. Apparently, a lot more faith than Paul because he blew it. He had a lot of suffering. And believe me, there are Christians promoting that false doctrine out there. And that's a very dangerous place to be in. I mean, what happens to a Christian who believes that bad things shouldn't happen to them when something bad happens. They're very, very tempted to think that maybe God doesn't care about me. You know, if God cared about me, He wouldn't let this bad thing be happening to me. Or maybe they'll think, God must be punishing me. I didn't have a good enough quiet time today. That's why God's letting this do that. Oh, I, I, I must have sinned somewhere, I, I, and now God's punishing me for that sin. Or maybe they'll think, God's just not strong enough. They'll start getting a false view of God, and God, God must not be able to do anything about this. Or perhaps in their distress, They'll even turn their back and walk away from God. I guess this whole Bible thing and God thing must be a mistake because I thought this shouldn't happen to me if I was a Christian. And all because they had this false notion that God was supposed to keep anything bad from happening to them. So we had to take time to make sure we have a truly biblical understanding of suffering. It is going to come into our lives. We will have tribulation, just as Jesus said, or, or the Apostle Paul. He was talking to some recent converts. Here's, you know, new converts in Acts fourteen twenty two, and he said, Through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. However, even though that's true, the point of this passage, as I said earlier, is not gloom and doom, but comfort and hope. You know, in just verses 3 through 7 in this passage, the word comfort is repeated 10 times. And if something is repeated that often, I think it becomes pretty apparent and pretty obvious what God wants us to get out of this passage. He has some anchors of hope and comfort that will take us through our times of trials and tribulations. I got three of them that I pulled out of here. One comes from verses 9 and 10. Indeed, we had the sentence of death within ourselves so that we would not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead, who delivered us from so great a peril of death and will deliver us, He on whom we have set our hope, and He will deliver us. The first anchor we have to hold on to is that our trust, is in an all-powerful God, not in ourselves. Hopeless situations really are hopeless when your only resource is you or other people. There's a reason they're called hopeless. It's because nobody... can change the situation. Now, sometimes I know we use that word, you know, flippantly, and we call things hopeless that aren't hopeless. They're just like really, really hard or difficult. But the truth is we can face truly hopeless situations. Like uh, the account of of, uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, right, in in the book of, of Daniel. These three guys, in order to stay true to God, refused to obey the the king's order and bow down to this golden image that he had created. And, And the decreed punishment for refusal was to be burned alive in this oversized furnace that he had built. And when these three guys were brought before the king, who was furious that anybody would disobey one of his commands, he decided to give them one more chance and said, hey, if you bow down, I'll spare your life, but if not... I'll kill you. That truly was a hopeless situation. I mean, these guys were surrounded by the king's guard. It's not like they could run or escape or fight their way out of it. There was no army of Israel waiting on the flanks to to crash in and rescue them. The army of Israel had been destroyed. The king was furious about their disobedience. There was going to be no sweet-talking their way out of the situation. It was truly a hopeless situation. But their response to the king was this. If it be so, if that's what you're going to do, if it be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the furnace of blazing fire. And he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. See, they were saying that their trust was in God. They've set their hope on God. And God can do whatever He wants to do, whenever He wants to do it, no matter what the human situation is. Because there is no hopeless situation with God involved. But I want you to know something else. Notice that when Paul was talking about this back in Second Corinthians, he said that our hope is in God who raises the dead. Now, why did he add that phrase? Was it just to, to show us the extent of God's power? I don't, I don't think so. I believe it was because Paul understood that sometimes God's deliverance isn't always the earthly deliverance that we would think of. Sometimes God allows his followers to be martyred for their faith or to be killed in, in, in the messiness of this world. And, and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they understood that as well. I mean, after declaring that God could rescue them from the fiery furnace and the king's hand, look at what they said next. But even if he, he being God, does not, let it be known to you, O king, that we are not going to serve your gods or worship the golden image which you have set up. In other words, they were saying, hey, we don't know whether God's going to save us or not. But no matter what, we're going to stay faithful to God because we've set our hope on him. And they understood that sometimes deliverance is the ultimate deliverance being safely brought home to heaven. And the Apostle Paul, I mean, he understood that truth as, as well. In the very last book that he ever wrote, 2 Timothy, he said, the Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and will bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Sometimes the way the Lord rescues us is by bringing us safely to home to our eternal home and that really is a comfort for us when we're going through trials because we reminded that no matter what the outcome we are safe in God's hands and yes sometimes he brings us through that trial here on earth but ultimately he is going to bring us out of every trial to be perfectly safe and secure with him so we have nothing to fear in whatever tribulation or trial we might be facing and maybe you say, well, yeah, you know, that is ultimately, that is comforting to know that no situation is hopeless without God. And, and even if that means bringing me safely home uh, to his heavenly home. But, but what about encouragement right now when we're in the middle of some severe trial or affliction or tribulation here? Well, you know, God has something for us to hold on to there as well. Look at verse 4. And the subject of verse 4 is God the Father who comforts us in all our affliction so that we will be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. So we have the promises of God which bring us comfort and therefore we can comfort one another. So our anchor to hold on to here is the fact that God himself promises he will give us comfort and he provides others brothers and sisters who can comfort us during our time of crisis. Everyone in this room has gone through some kind of affliction and trial or tribulation. It might be what other people consider, you know, fairly mild. Uh, And there's some of you that may have gone through some very deep waters. But whatever the case, when you're going through it, it's never mild, right? And you have brothers and sisters who have also suffered. They've come through. They've seen the faithfulness of God, and therefore, they can bring comfort to you in your time of affliction, whatever you might be going through. And they may not have suffered the same thing that you're suffering, but they experienced the very same God loves them and loves you. Therefore, you can comfort one another. Maybe you've heard the phrase, you know, God is all you need. And you know what? That, that is true because God himself can comfort us when no one else is around and no one else can comfort us. But sometimes God knows what we need is another person in flesh and blood to, to come alongside us and put their arm around us and, and to be there with us to provide that comfort. And so that's why this anchor is both. That's why it's contained in one verse there. You got God who comforts us and others. We can comfort one another through those things. We need that comfort from others my sister recently experienced this. Many of you know that she was diagnosed with a, a rare flo- form of sclerodoma many years ago, and, and the disease gets progressively worse. And one aspect uh, of it is, is is that it disrupts the blood flow to the extremities, and she gets these terribly painful sores on her fingers, and her fingers begin dying. And, and as they die, they will self-amputate, which is an incredibly uh, painful process. And uh, she is in such great pain that she has to be on very high doses of medication. In fact, this summer, she's had multiple sores to deal with in, in various fingers on one hand and the the pain medication that the doctor prescribed for her was the maximum dosage that they normally reserve for a terminal uh, cancer patient. And she's taking these meds every three hours. And about two and a half hours into her thing, that pain medication starts wearing off i was up during the last few weeks of my sabbatical helping do some things at her at her house and i could tell when the pain medication would wear off because she would stop talking and 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 then she would find a place to sit and she would cradle her hand in her other hand to hold it so there was no pressure on it and then she'd begin to rock rock back and forth and just concentrate on breathing she'd ask how much time how much time till the next dose as she's keeping track well several weeks ago she had a day where where the pain was much worse than normal far far above what she'd been normally experiencing and uh it kept intensifying through the day and it, it finally got so bad that Gail got to a point where she became afraid. She had never in her life and never would contemplate suicide, but f- suddenly she understood why some people do. It hurts so bad that all she could think about was trying to find a way to make it stop, any way to make it stop. And she couldn't think clearly in that pain, and so she knew she couldn't and wouldn't act rationally in that pain, and so she became afraid. She didn't know what to do or what she would do. So she did a very smart thing. She called another believer for help. In this case, it was her daughter who only lives a few minutes away from her. And she told Missy on the phone, you better get over here right now because I don't know what I'm going to do. And Missy, who had to deal with her own pain because of an injured back from a job accident, went right over. And you know what? She couldn't do anything. She couldn't take away any pain. She couldn't help with anything. All she could do was be there. And that was enough. That got Gail through that event. So let me ask you a question. Do you have someone, a Christian, brother or sister, that you can call in a moment of need? When you are deep in a mess, whatever that mess might be, do you have someone who will drop everything and be right over by your side? See, God designed the church, the body of Christ, the the brotherhood of believers to be that way. And in it, we can find and develop those kind of relationships. But I have to tell you, that doesn't automatically happen. We have to choose to do it. I mean, that's one of the reasons I'm such a big believer in in, in small group participation. You get connected. You don't know when your moment of affliction will come, and you will need somebody there right now. And it may be a family member if they're close at hand like that, But with the body of Christ, it doesn't have to be. You have people right here, a family that will be there by your side, but you have to cultivate those relationships. And there's no better place to make those connections and cultivate those than in some kind of small group that you're meeting together. It might be a ministry group, a music team. It might be a BLT. It might be a Bible study. It might be something else, but get connected. God gives us one final anchor to hold on to, and this one's going to be very brief because it's going to come up again in the book, and we'll look at it more deeply there. But verse 11 says this, You also joining in helping us through your prayers so that thanks may be given by many persons on our behalf for the favor bestowed on us through the prayers of many. Notice that Paul uses the word many there he was not afraid to share with everybody what he was going through so that many people would be praying. It truly is a way to join in and walk alongside someone else's suffering. And and, and again, we don't know the exact way that uh, a sovereign God works through our prayers. We just know that he does. And, And he designed it so that we can gain strength and encouragement from the prayers of others. Have you ever felt God's people praying for you? Have you ever sensed, even when no one else was around, you were being prayed for? I'll bet if we had time, we could stop right now and many could share stories of when that's happened because God works through prayers in our own heart. He might not change your circumstances but now all of a sudden you've got that courage and encouragement to keep going because you've got the prayers of God's people surrounding you. So don't be afraid to use the prayer cards and drop them in the prayer box. Come on Tuesday night to the prayer group. I mean that's open to everybody. Pray with your friends. Pray for one another because God uses prayer. Father God, we're thankful that in this messy world, that in this place of trial and tribulation, you are our hope and our comfort. We've set our hope on you, God, not on our own resources, not on what people can do, not on the ingenuity of man, but on you. And we know that ultimately, we will be brought safely to your presence for an eternity of safety and security and goodness. So God, during this time, where we may have to walk through, in fact, we'll walk through trials and tribulations, thank you that you will be with us, that you've given us brothers and sisters to pray for us and to be with us.